All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Good Music Podcast. My name is Lucas, and thank you so much for listening. And I have got a uh, a really cool uh, new thing that's starting with this episode. I now have a co-host. So with me is my good friend Justin. Say hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. So we're uh, we're going to be tag teaming. This is uh, just something I've had always intended to do, but wasn't sure, you know, how to get started with it. And kind of once I realized what this podcast was going to look like, that I knew I wanted to get someone else to come in, bring a fresh perspective and not put the pressure on me to just continue talking and have to be the only interesting thing going on. So Justin is a very interesting person. Hey, thank you. So you should enjoy what he has to say. Uh, Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Well, I... 27, recently married to the most amazing woman, uh, and glad to be here. I think I'm a musician. I attempt to be every weekend. I play guitar, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm excited to talk about some music and yeah. listen to your perspective on it. Yeah. So um, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, pretty much what this podcast is, is I pick a band to look at every week. And I'll just I'll talk about history, some some interesting facts about them, and talk about my personal connection with them. And then what I do is I pick six songs. Well, normally six songs. I actually am picking eight songs this week. Um, that'll kind of be a good representation of the band, as well as a, a bonus track from another art, artist. And the way that I structure these songs is... I pick songs that have a, a a good flow to them, to where you listen to them from start to finish, and there was a natural emotional progression. And pretty much it's just an, an opportunity for me to nerd out and uh, maybe perhaps introduce you listeners to some music maybe that you've never heard before, or give you a fresh perspective or some new details about some songs you already do know. Maybe uh, give you a better appreciation for them. So um, it's I kind of like to think of this as a musical journey, and wow. I'm excited to have Justin along with me for this journey. Let's do this. I'm excited. Um, again, thank you everyone for listening. I've uh, I saw that this week my Coldplay episode has now gotten over 200 listens what? 217 listens as of last time i looked at it which just blows my mind a little bit and uh and so i had uh i had these i have really high hope for my steely dan episode and i'm at like 27 <laughs> on that one so uh I have a feeling that's not going to... They're not as big of a band as, as Coldplay or Metallica. Metallica's up to like 170 listens. And then... Uh, so I'm, I'm... I'm Steadily rising? Yeah. Again, I like what you have to say? Apparently. And a lot more so than I would have thought. And just... Uh, thank you again to all the, everyone that's listening all around the world. People from Argentina and Italy wow. and Brazil and Japan... Indonesia, Nepal, uh, Mexico, and of course everyone in the U.S. Uh, just however you're finding it, thank you for finding it, and 
whatever platform you're listening to this on, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It'll let you know whenever a new episode is ready and available. So, um, and then just share it, post it. If you know people that uh, are really into music and and would enjoy this kind of thing, let them know that this exists. I want to continue to grow this platform. Uh, my eyes have been opened onto how much it can grow after seeing the great start it's already gotten. So, um, yeah. So where do we go from here? So the artist that we've picked for this week is the the artist of all artists. The reason that popular music is what it is, mm. and that is the Beatles. Ooh, the Beatles. The Beatles, the originators, the godfathers. I have to be honest, I know a little bit about the Beatles. Maybe it's not as much as I think I should know. Yeah, everyone knows a little bit about the Beatles. They're one of the few bands that like your normal person could name three out of the four members right and so um yeah the the Beatles are kind of up there you know with like Elvis and just as far as just you know most people even if they don't can't tell you a song they know who they are although I am finding that that's becoming a little bit less and less as we move forward and in, in through the years the younger generation um teaching music for a couple years kind of opened my eyes to how little respect they give the Beatles and just not knowing that everything that they listen to pretty much the Beatles are responsible for. There's a common saying in the musical world that if you think that you've just come up with something original, just remember the Beatles did it first. They were kind of the first it's definitely the first rock group to go past the uh the standard blues progression and other genres had gone past it too but they really came up with a lot of the chord progressions and the uh the structures that pop music uses today and what are what are those that you would typically hear so kind of you know the different you know like the five Four one six, or just kind of they were they were the ones to really take all of those combinations and come up with as many as they could. Gotcha. And they were the first to really experiment. They came up with a lot of the sounds that we use today. They were the first ones to discover intentional feedback. Okay. Um, they were one of the first groups to really use distortion. They were the first ones to figure out backwards recording and kind of using like speeding up and slowing down techniques to alter uh, their sounds. They were the first group to bring in instruments from other countries. Like they were the first group to use a sitar, introducing that Indian Eastern sound. Um, And they just, they had an imagination that just was so, uh, was so insatiable. And while a lot of credit goes to the members themselves, they also had an incredible producer, George Martin, who was kind of the the executor of their will. They would have all these crazy ideas, but they would have no idea how themselves to make it happen. And so they would just tell George, hey, we want to figure out how to make this happen. And he'd say, okay, I'll go figure it out. <laughs> like he would like, anytime they had like orchestral arrangements yeah. or 
like instrument parts that were like too complicated for them to play, he would play them. He played a lot of piano parts. So he would play them himself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, or he would have just he would say, "I've got a guy that uh, can play it for you." And so, well, we'll get into some specifics on some of the songs we're looking at today on some stuff that he was wholly responsible for. Now, I know, obviously, like we said before, the Beatles, I mean, they're the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, like, they reached kind of the eminence that they did? I mean, like, you can't go past a book or anything in musical history. History itself is just like, the Beatles are a huge part of that. Like, what do you feel, you know, a lot of people have said that they're the kind of the voice of, of that generation. What do you think about their music that kind of really struck that for a lot of people? Um, I mean, that's there's a lot of facets to that question, but at the very core of it is just they were at the top level of songwriting as far as just no no one has ever since been able to write hooks like they did. Yeah. I read something that they have written more memorable melodies than any classical composer more than Mozart more than Beethoven like that's they literally were that caliber yeah. of songwriting it's just as far as like they probably have close to a hundred songs that you could easily remember and hum along to they just they knew how to write songs as weird and as complex and as experimental as they would get, at the core of most of their music is just great pop songwriting. Mm. And they just, they knew how to write great melodies. If they didn't have that, they would have still had that edge of being the first to do a lot of stuff. But it would be more of like, they would have been like a, like a sign of what was to come, rather than being the thing itself. Because the Beatles were only only released albums for seven years. Yeah, that's true. I, I think one of the things I noticed in just doing the preliminary research about this for this episode is uh, the biggest takeaway is their, all their lyrics. I mean, everything, especially a lot of the ballads and stuff mm -hmm. is awesome. I mean, it's just like it gets stuck in your head. It's easy to sing and it's just really catchy. And, and just thinking about music today, like they're really, it's almost like everybody's just trying to... Mm -hmm. reinvent the wheel yeah have you seen the movie yesterday mm -hmm. so that i feel like that movie really kind of shows how powerful the beatles songs were that if you were to release all those songs today with the the modern sheen on them but you are you're still taking those great lyrics and those great melodies they would still be they would be massive songs today because melodies like that are just timeless you don't listen to it and go, oh, that's just, that's an old style of singing or a song, style of songwriting. Like, those those songs are timeless and universal. And I just, I think that that is, that's the center of what made the Beatles so big. It's just that no matter what kind of music you liked, you couldn't ignore just how great the melodies were. And so... Yeah, I just I and it's just again they came at the right time as well. When they came onto the scene, rock and roll was pretty much dead. 
Because you had fifth, you had the fifties. Right. The fifties is when kind of rock and roll had its grand grand birth, and you had that first wave. You had Chuck Berry, Elvis, um, Buddy Holly, Little Richard, all of those artists. And at the end of the fifties, they had pretty much all either like Elvis got drafted into the military and then just started making movies. Um, Chuck Berry got arrested. Buddy Holly died in a plane crash. It, like, it all happened in, like, one year. Was it, like, a new sound, though, too? I mean, the Beatles came in with this British rock that, like, was a little clean, but wasn't it wasn't as edgy as what people might have thought. Rock well, when they first started off, they were trying to recreate that American sound mm-hmm. because the way that it worked was that everything arrived to Britain late. Sure. So they weren't listening as much to rock and roll when it was first coming out. They were kind of like a couple years behind. And so by the time the early 60s came around, that's when Britain was really having its rock and roll explosion. But no British artist had ever really made it in America before. That makes sense, I think, just just from listening to some of these songs. like Some of their earlier stuff is very kind of like beach rock heavy, mm-hmm. nice free-flowing, really fun... Yeah, because I mean they were they were a teen pop group. Yeah, that's kind of what the the envision was. The thing that made them stand out in the beginning was that they were writing their own songs, which a lot of artists in the fifties didn't do. Yeah, interesting. Um, Buddy Holly did, and the Beatles have said that's one of the things that really drew them to him is that he wrote all of his own music, and so they was like, we need to write all our own music. Their first several albums have a lot of covers on them, but yeah. it's the the covers in the committee songwriting was way less than a lot of other rock artists, especially at that time. Um, the the artists that were going around were doing a lot of you know people talk about how artists don't write their own songs anymore. That's not a new thing. Right. That's that had that's been going on for quite a long time. It was very prevalent in the early '60s. Now, one of the things I've noticed about the Beatles too is when, especially on songs where they have a lot a lot of gang vocals, they just sound really good together. Like you yeah. can tell that they just really, it just sounds like they really mesh really well. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of that is just luck. You just you happen to get the right guys that have the right voices to put together. Queen was the same way. It was you know a miracle that the three voices that comprised Queen's kind of chorus vocal mesh so well together. And it's just, you know, you can't, you can't, even with a lot of practice, can't replicate that. You just gotta get lucky and have the right people with the right sounding voices. But yeah, just their, their vocals sounded great together. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the one of the things that I really kind of took away is like even when, when they would break off into you know their individual parts, it was fine. It's I mean, they all were decent singers, and then for whatever reason, just the magic happened when they would just come together and just like, oh man, this is a really great, this is a really great sound. You have the melodies that they have and the great mm-hmm. lyrics, and it's easy to see like why it's so it became such a hit so quickly. Yeah, and then just yeah. Um, the Beatles also the, what kind of set them apart as far as being a voice of that generation specifically is just kind of the figurehead status that they had as far as the image and the craze 
that people had, the Beatlemania, as it was called. Um, yes, we still have that today, where people will just go insane. Sure. But it was it was unique for when it happened with the Beatles. It wasn't the first time, because people freaked out when Elvis first came out. Oh, yeah. He was kind of the first one to really to really get that level of attention. But the way that the entire world just swarmed over them every country they went was just insane i mean technology was was coming around and mm-hmm. it was just more more and more available yeah and especially with tv and they just they captured the world's attention in a way that no band ever had before or probably ever will since as far as there being a universal everyone loves the beatles there's so many different styles out there now and preferences and subgroup upon subgroup upon subgroup that you really can't have another artist capture the entire world's attention and respect at once like the Beatles did. Didn't matter if you were young or old, what part of the world that you lived in, everyone loved the Beatles. At least in the beginning. <laughs> Then as they started to get a little more controversial, they um, started to alienate. But that's also kind of what made them more important. Mm, One of the things that uh, my wife brought up to me that I did not know about this, and maybe you can speak to this, is that they started getting a little bit political. Oh, they got very political. Very, very political. Um, Especially just, you know, about communist politics and... You listen to the song Revolution, that's about as that's one of the most political songs probably ever written. It's it's calling people out by name, not just talking about political ideals, but saying, you know, this guy specifically, don't listen to him. He's a bad dude. Don't do this. You should do this instead. It's like very spelt, but yet at the same time it's like you can listen to it and whatever your political leaning would be, you still can identify with it. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, we could go on and on and on and on about the importance of the Beatles. Um, but we'll go ahead and uh, and take a break right here. And when we come back, we're going to delve into the six songs that we picked for this week. So stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. Uh, We are talking about the Beatles this week, and uh, it is time to look at the songs. So, normally, I like to pick six songs, and uh, but for this week, since I'm doing something a little bit different structurally, I wanted to do eight songs, because what I'm also going to do is I'm going to be pairing the songs with uh, kind of their career trajectory as a band. So all of the songs are in chronological order, but also trying to pick songs that still have that emotional flow from start to finish. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of 
explain the history of the band while also talking about each song. So why'd you pick this first song I saw her standing? All right, so I saw her standing there is the first song on their first album. So it just, it it felt like the best place to start. And you had said earlier this was when they were trying to appeal to Americans, so they kind of copied a little bit of their style. They weren't really... I mean, yes, they were trying to copy the American sound, but not necessarily appeal to Americans. They had not made it in America yet at this point. They This was a purely British record. And at this time, they had been clubbing pretty intensely for about a year now and had developed a really strong underground following. And uh, this was one of the songs that was in their rotation. It's got a real American feel to it. Oh, yeah. It's definitely, you can tell that that's what they were listening to. Because yeah. they weren't listening to other British artists, because there weren't any. Yeah, I love the the free-flowing, the energy, just kind of that sunny California vibe. Mm-hmm. The beach flow vibe. Yeah. And the Beach Boys were, were they were starting at this point. The Beach Boys would heavily influence where they went later in their career. Um whether or not they were influenced by the Beach Boys at this point, I'm not sure, but definitely, yeah, that that whole first wave of American rock and probably a little bit of what was starting to go on in the 60, early 60s. Um, yeah, I Saw Her Standing There is just such a fun, fast track. And it wasn't everyone's f- first taste of the Beatles. They had some singles that came out before the album, but there were a lot of people that... You know, you put that first record on, drop the needle, one, two, three, four, and that's the start of the Beatles right there. I, I think the thing I love about this song is there's a great guitar solo mm-hmm. in there, but it's just, like, when you hear it, it's just got a great classic, like, American, like, feel to it, but it's a bunch of British guys who are, are doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, again, they wrote the song themselves. Paul McCartney sang and wrote it. By the way, I, I should have gone into this, but the four members of the Beatles. Uh, of course. And I wanted to say this because a lot of people know who they are, but sometimes they don't know what instruments they were responsible yeah. for. So you had Paul McCartney, who also played the bass, mm-hmm. played lefty bass. Wow. One of the few ones in rock, or at least few notable ones in rock history to play left-handed bass. Uh, you had John Lennon, who, uh, while also being one of the lead singers, he didn't have a specific instrument that he was tied to, although in a lot of the earlier stuff, he was like the rhythm guitarist. But, you know, he played keyboards when needed and uh, played bass on a couple of songs in the later uh, era of their career. But he was just, you know, obviously he was known as one of the main singers and songwriters. Uh, you had George Harrison, who was the lead guitar player. So anytime you hear guitar solos and the lead lines played in Beatles songs, that's George Harrison playing. And then you had Ringo Starr on the drums. So I, I meant to say that earlier, but um, yeah. So John, Paul, Ringo, George. So Paul is the one that sings on lead on this song. And he's the one, him and Lennon wrote it. Uh, they were very much a duo in the... I would say the first half of the Beatles career just you didn't have a lot of songs that were just written by McCartney or just by Lennon it was always Lennon and McCartney so a lot of times it wasn't always a 50-50 on how they wrote it a lot of times you would they would bring an almost finished idea and the other one would kind of help them figure out 
what to do. They would each contribute their own parts or go, oh, let's change this chord to this chord. Let's tweak this lyric here. But definitely the greatest songwriting duo of all time. And George Harrison would write songs as well, but he didn't really come into his own songwriting-wise until almost the end of the Beatles' career. And then Ringo wrote a couple songs, didn't really... He would usually get to sing, like, one song an album. And it was usually, you know, McCartney and Lennon would write it for him, or they would make him sing a cover. But then he got to write a couple of songs at the end. But it was definitely the the bulk was Lennon McCartney. So this song, what do you think about it kind of really appealed, like... Was, was what made it so, like kind of take off so much. So even though it sounded so much like the 50s, it had just this extra energy. Yeah. It just, it was, you could tell that it was, it was that style reborn and kind of resurrected with new life breathed into it. It wasn't just them copying what came before, but they're, they're taking it to the next level. This this song wasn't ever one of their hits at the beginning, but it was it's it's a song that as time has gone on, it's become one of their classic tracks. Yeah, because people have really realized, oh like, oh man, this is a great It's in my opinion, it's the best song on their first album. Hmm. Yeah, I really love just I think all the a lot of the the instrumentation I think is really, really nice. I mean I think the guitar just like really kind of shines yeah. really well. And I love the energy. I think it's so much fun. And mm-hmm. you can see why, like, especially back then, I mean, people were just like, it comes on the radio and just like immediately, like you're in the mood, whether you're in the car or just at home. It's, mm-hmm. like, it just, doesn't like, get up and, and move. Yeah, it doesn't waste time. It immediately just throws you in. And it's pretty much just, it's telling you what, what you're in for, for this whole album. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, so the first album was uh, Please Please Me, and that came out in 1963. So that was kind of, that was the beginning. They had been a band for about three or four years before that, but just, you know, playing in tons of bars and clubs and just kind of, you know, working on their playing and their songwriting up till then. And so when they came into the studio, they already had all the songs this written. And it was just kind of like, these are the songs we've been playing over the years. And yeah. so now we're, we're just ready. They recorded that whole album in one 13-hour studio session. It's incredible. So they just literally were just like, okay, all right, we, we, we play this one. Let's do this one next. Okay, now let's do this one. Let's yeah. do this one. Take a break for lunch. Come back. So um, this song isn't on the list, but uh, one the other big song on that album was is actually a cover song, uh, Twist and Shout. Yeah. And the song, the, the most famous part about that song is that John Lennon's voice is like so raspy. And it's got the, it's because he was losing his voice at the end of that. It was the last song that they recorded for that session. And he was just like, we have to do this in one take, or I won't be able to sing it again. He was just, he was done after all that time recording. And also to talk about the way they recorded that, there weren't any overdubs. That's incredible. So it was just right before studio uh, policies changed. But everything, all of those songs were performed live. Now, whether or not they had parts where they would cut and put in, you know, a different take in a different spot, I'm not sure. But I do know that, like, they were all in the studio and they would be 
playing while they're singing and just, you know, they didn't really use a lot of takes on each song because they had been playing these songs so sure. many times live. And that's a producer's dream. Just come in, they nail it, I'm like, okay, yeah, next. And that's how everyone did it. Yeah. There, this was not yet the era. That's another thing that the Beatles actually pioneered was spending forever in the studio and writing while you're in the studio. So um, I'll, I'll get to that whenever we get to that point in their career, but... Yeah, it's just that's how it was for their first several albums. They just they already had the songs ready, and they would just come in, knock them out as quick as they could, and go out and tour. So you would, you know, it was the time when you could release two albums a year, sometimes three. You know, you you release an album, tour for three months while you're touring, write the next album, get in, record, go out on tour again. So yeah, so the '63. They became the biggest band in Europe, for sure, after that album came out. Had several number one singles in Britain and in different countries in Europe. Um, but they said that they would not go to America until they had a number one single there. Because they had said that they had seen a lot of artists get fairly big in Europe and then yeah. just try and go to America. And they would just fall flat on their face. And so they were just like, if we get a number one single over there, then we'll go. They're not going to go over there and then try and get a number one single. And uh, at the end of 1963, in December, they finally got that number one single. And that was uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. And so once that went to number one, they were like, all right, let's go tour America. And then there's the that famous moment when the plane sets down in New yeah. York. So that was the start of what's called the British Invasion. So the Beatles were the first British band to break in the U.S. and then um, the bands that followed them were the Rolling Stones, of course. the Kinks, the Who, the Animals. So they were kind of the other British artists that were like, the Beatles did it. They did it. Okay, we got to get there too. They, they are going to start listening to British artists now. And so they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. And it's like, I've read somewhere that I think it's like the... The largest percentage of people like watching a program wow. in one night. Like obviously we have a lot more people of watching course. TV now, so it's yeah. not like the number itself, but as far as the percentage of people. They said that crime all over the country hit an all time low in the fifteen minutes they were on TV. Saying that even the even the, the criminals stopped to watch the Beatles play. That's just how big they were mm -hmm. here in America. Yep. And I'm so, curious because that's not this next song that's on the list. No. So I wanted to, because I've had a lot of ground to cover. So I wanted to get a song that was the height of the Beatlemania period. So kind of when they were still in the mode of we can do no wrong. So I Want to Hold Your Hand is the song that breaks them into the U.S. They release their second album right off the heels of that, which is uh, With the Beatles. Then... Then they go to their third album, Hard Day's Night, which is where our second song appears on. And that song is Can't Buy Me Love. Now, what do you love so much about this song? I love this song because it really s had this kind of minory feel to it while still being really upbeat. I really like how it kind of showed that they were now starting to experiment a little bit with their songwriting. 
Like, if you look at the chords on that song, it's not your standard pop chords. Yeah. It's kind of, they kind of mix with a little bit of chromaticism and just kind of talking about, like, you know, it's not just the sunshiny, let's have yeah. a good time lyrics, but kind of now starting to get a little more, um, a little more sophisticated, talking about, you know, material wealth and, you know, and really talking about fans, about, you know, just kind of how a lot of fans will claim they love them just because they're, they're famous and rich and he's just, and they're like, well, that's not what I want. But it still had some classic, like Beatles things. Oh, like yeah. The gang vocals were in there, the clean guitar licks. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that was still like there, but I think you're right. The... It's still, the, it's still phase one right. of the Beatles career. And so this is still kind of them at the height of being your teenage boy band. They still, you know, have the girls chasing them around. Right. They actually made their first movie during this time called Hard, uh, Hard Day's Night. And that's right. the album almost serves like a soundtrack for that movie. And so, um, yeah, so that was the, still the time that, that came out as well in 1964. So that was the second album of theirs to come out in 64. And so 63 to 65 is like the Beatlemania period, where it's just literally they're, everyone sees them as these perfect role models. You know, there's nothing controversial. There's these, these sweet, clean-cut lads right, that... Right, baby-faced guys. Uh-huh, that are just like, they're so precious. Like, all the parents love them. You know, they just sing sweet songs about innocent love. and um, But on, if you listen to the Hard Day's Night album, it's when they kind of start to, to, to try new things out. Yeah. There's another song on that album called And I Love Her that um, kind of started to show how they were moving towards the ballads a little bit and kind right. of kind of moving towards a bit more sophisticated song writing. So once we move into 1965, this is the point when the Beatles just start to get tired. Because after two years of relentless Beatlemania, they just they start to kind of get sick of it. Sure. And as they start to get sick of how quickly they're having to churn albums out. Because um, the fourth album of theirs, Beatles for Sale, is, I would say, their worst album. You can tell that they weren't feeling it that much. And then you just, you look at the album cover, and they just look miserable. Right. <laughs> they, look, they look tired. They look cold. They just look, they have these expressions on their face just like, Lord, we're doing this again. It's just the grind of just writing, yeah. touring, writing, back in the studio. And just, they, they would say that these places they were playing, because audio equipment hadn't really reached the level that it is now. Sure. That the people would be screaming so loud that you couldn't even hear the music. They and that's and they started to get frustrated with that because they felt like people were not coming to listen to their music. Just coming for them. They just wanted yeah. to see them and they wanted to have a chance for them to look at them. And they started to feel like they were becoming worse musicians because they couldn't hear each other at all. Which is crazy because back then you just had these gigantic wedges on the ground. Yeah, which I mean I don't even know if they had that at that point. I'm not I'm not up on my. 
on my tech history. But they definitely didn't have the powerful amps. The amps actually were a response to a lot of artists going, we just, the crowds are getting too big, they're getting yeah. too loud, we can't hear anything. Interesting. Ringo would say that he wouldn't even be able to do any fills and that he couldn't hear anything the other bands, the band was doing. And so he would just be keeping the, the downbeat going, I hope that <laughs> I'm playing the right part. And they can hear me. Mm-hmm. And so they just, they started to just kind of get annoyed with it. Mm. And they just, they didn't, they they were starting to feel that the fame wasn't all that great. And so that's when we get into the Help album. And that song, Help, is literally Lennon's cry for help saying, like, I, I'm suffering here. My psyche is, I'm losing it. And so... Um, so this leads us to our next song. Yeah, Ticket to Ride, which is on the Help album. The Help album is the more visible turning point, the yeah. beginning of phase two, I would say. You can kind of, you know, all the things that you were saying, you kind of feel it in this song. Like, it's it's a, it's a good song. It's, mm-hmm. it's got a really chill vibe, still some classic Beatles, but it's just it's kind of lacking. It feels like it's lacking a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little more introspective, and, and it's just they do a lot of interesting things with it, like that drum beat. It's not like your right. typical boom, ba, boom, ba, do, do, boom, 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 boom. It's, it's like they're definitely trying to do new things. And um, I had read that that ending section was like they introduced the concept of having a coda that has doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the song. Like the, the my baby don't care. Da, 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 da. Like that, that had never been done in a pop song before where you use the outro be something that wasn't a reprise of anything else sure. in the song. So that was kind of like, that was also a significant thing with that, with that tune. But that album has a lot of firsts. That, that song has Yesterday on it, which was the first pop song to have orchestral instruments in it, mm. as well as just, you know, it's a simple guitar ballad. That was an unheard of thing yeah. at that time. Uh, the song Help was, was, it was kind of, it was their first song to not specifically talk about I love you, you love me. Right. It was more of a, a personal song, even though it, you, you can say that it's he's talking to his lover, but... Yeah, there's some maturity happening here in this, in this album. Mm-hmm. And so, a big thing that happens at this point is the emergence of another musician, and that's Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, I mean, what's, the, what's the main thing you think of when you think of Bob, the significance of Bob Dylan's music? What is he most known for? That I actually don't know. It's his lyrics. He's probably the greatest lyricist of all time. And he's the only musician to ever win a Nobel Prize for writing. He got it a couple years ago for his body of work. And so... Do you think this really pushes the... Well, we we know it does, because they say... They're just like, without Bob Dylan, we wouldn't have known where to go with our lyrics. There's another song on Help called You've Got to Hide Your Love Away that they said specifically it's because of them listening to Bob Dylan that they started to um, sophisticate their songwriting. They said they would start to use words that they would have thought would be too silly or too, um, too dumb to use in a pop song. But when they say dumb, they mean like, you know, more proper and 
so when Bob Dylan came on the scene, that's kind of when they started to go, okay, well, maybe we don't just have to love sing about, you know, teeny bopper, you know, skipping down the road, holding hands. We can start to talk about real things, because that's what Bob Dylan would sing about. He'd talk about society. He would talk, he would tell stories about, you know, down on their luck people or complex love scenarios. So really at this point, they're starting to kind of break the rules a little bit, kind of really like, all right, Mm -hmm. let's push this envelope as far as we can. Yeah. And so really we get into that on the following album, Rubber Soul, which came out in the beginning part of 66. Rubber Soul is a, while help is a definitive turning point, Rubber Soul is when they like, hit the point of no return like they're now committed to doing a lot of unique things you so this is where in my life comes from yes so in my life is that point when they reach that lyrical maturity and it's a ballad yeah which for the first time in a while especially listening through all their stuff it's like oh wow this is totally different from what i thought it's going to be mm-hmm. yeah it's john lennon just singing about his childhood and all the um, all the people and places that meant a lot to him and just kind of like a very contemplative retrospective look at his life at that point and yeah and that little piano solo was played by George Martin I was going to say there's a very interesting piano solo that all of a sudden comes up mm-hmm. towards the tail end that you're not expecting at all yeah George Martin played that <laughs> So that's what I mean by he would kind of come in and play those sections that I think that the later era Beatles could have played that, but because Paul McCartney specifically got really adept at the piano, but I don't, he wasn't playing it at the level that he was at that point yet. A song, listening through it, I love that still, I mean, it's got that kind of, it's a really great chill song to listen to, mm-hmm. a good feel to it. Again, great lyrics, the melody is awesome love the guitar tone again like i think that's one thing i i've noticed a lot it's just that all their all their their guitar licks are super clean really nice and easy like there's nothing doesn't feel like it's being overplayed yeah that guitar line at the beginning is just beautiful fantastic and then somehow they get to this crazy piano solo but it still but it still works it still works (laughs) but it's just so funny listening to it i just remember i was going through it in a car and I was just like what what is this it yeah. just completely changes it. and then and it kind of like carries out the rest of the song mm-hmm. but I just I just felt like the Beatles were just saying like yeah this is where we're going so mm-hmm. don't care yeah if you listen to the rest of the record there's a lot of this is that's this is the first album that contains uh, they bring the sitar in for there's a song called Norwegian Wood that uh, I love that song, and it's got a sitar line in it, and um, they've just, they've got a lot of really interesting songs. They've got, like, a song that's partially sung in French, uh, Michel, great song, and this is also kind of where they start to get a little controversial with their lyrics. Yeah. They have a song on there called Drive My Car, which in England is a euphemism for sex, <laughs> and so... The line, baby, you can drive my car and maybe I'll love you. 
And it's just kind of like they're starting to, you know, they're starting to grow up a little bit as yeah. far as kind of what they're talking about. It's not just the innocent side anymore. They kind of start to see what they can get away with. So from here, they, it seems like, especially as we get to the next record, they're just going full force. Like, Well, we actually skip a record in this. So, because the next record, ooh. Because this is also the point where drugs start to come in. That's right. So, and it really starts to show another up. Another important contribution from Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was the one that cued them in on marijuana and its, and its songwriting powers. So, they were definitely... They were smoking weed while they were making help, which was kind of, again, That's you can... a response there. Yeah. And then, definitely, like, they look, they look stoned on the cover of Rubber Soul. They said they were. Um, so does that take us into so Within that, You, Without You? So, yeah, I'll, I'll briefly talk about the album that's in between these two, and that's Revolver. Revolver, Revolver is kind of the, the last album of the Phase 2, which is like, it still carries a little bit of the old Beatles in it. There's some songs you listen to and you're just like, I could see this being on maybe on Eve. But then there is some wacky crap on there. Crap in a good way. But it's just, man, they're real. It's That album actually has their first fully uh, Indian instrument song. It's called Love You Too. But it's not really very good. Uh, so George Harrison went to India in 66 sure. and met the, uh, the sitar guru at that time, Ravi Shankar, and just fell in love with the instrument. And so he's kind of the reason why those instruments started making their way into the Beatles is because he just, he went over there and he, he became very much infatuated with Eastern spirituality and sure. religion. He, um, he really loved all of that. So he was the one that kind of brought in a lot of that Eastern philosophy and views on love and religion. And that's kind of where that influence comes from is George Harrison. But Revolver has songs like Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine and kind of these songs are, they're starting to use like sound effects and Revolver has the first use of their backwards looping. And there's a song at the end of that album called Tomorrow Never Knows that's like one of the wackiest songs of their whole career and that's saying something. (laughs) But it's kind of like, that's the very last song on the album and it's kind of like, that's the moment where you're just like, okay, we're now in full-on uh, Crazyville, and there's no going back from it. So that album came out in the end of 66. And that brings us to Within You, Without You. Yes. So which now, is a weird... The first time I heard it, I was just like, yeah. this is this is so odd. Like I get, mm-hmm. I get the Indian music vibes, but just, I mean, it's not what you ever thought the Beatles would get into. Oh, no. Um, yeah, so Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is the album that this comes on. And Rolling Stones magazine named this the number one greatest album of all time. That's amazing. And it's, it's definitely, I would say, arguably one of the most influential albums ever made. It's one of the... I like to look at parts of musical history, and there's just there's there's hinges where... A single album comes out, and everything in popular music changes. Sgt. Pepper was one of those albums when it came out in 67. So, 
they spent six weeks recording this album and all the headlines in the papers saying they've been in the in the studio for six weeks they've run out of ideas the Beatles are are done and Paul McCartney said that he would read those headlines and he'd just go oh you just wait you just wait to hear what we've been concocting also at this point they've completely finished touring they just they've said no more we hate it and they had a couple of life-threatening situations that happened there's one time they went to the Philippines and they just about, again, this is coming from their perspective. They thought they almost got killed by the Filipino government because mm. they were like, like the, the government was like coming after their plane and they like barely got off the tarmac in time before all these military trucks showed up, like coming to arrest them because of like something that they had done, like the... The Filipino queen, like, invited them for dinner and they turned him down thinking it wasn't a big deal. And then, like, apparently it was this big insult and, like, people were burning Beatles records. And we also have the the interview where John Lennon said that the Beatles have become more popular than Jesus. Of course. And the most most of America rebelled against them and had giant bonfire parties where they burned Beatles records and... And they they kind of lost America for the rest of their career at that point. Although, obviously, everyone loves the Beatles now. But it was just like, you know, every, they offended a lot of people with that statement. In a way, he was kind of right. He shouldn't have said it, probably. But he, like, they had gotten to such a level of stardom that it was just kind of like people were looking at them like they were the second coming. Well, and they brought in this new wave of music and like you said just different ways of producing like I think one of the things that I took away from within without within you without you is just especially a lot of the artistic affected Mm -hmm. uh, vocal effects I mean just something that obviously had never been done before but was was very interesting and it just kind of like flowed with the dreamy mm-hmm. trippy vibes that they were kind of putting out at the time yeah at this, with this song at this point they graduated from marijuana up to lsd yes and lsd is very very heavily influences this album and within you without you is definitely one of the trippiest ones mm-hmm. so george harrison sings this song and he actually orchestrated all the instruments being played which is really really impressive on a technical level it's not like it's not like one of their pop songs. It's right. definitely one of the most experimental songs they ever released. Yeah. George Harrison did three songs like this, three like full-on Indian instrumental songs. And this is definitely the best of the three. The first one being Revolver and the other one being a B-side of a single they released. And that one is really hard to listen to. So keeping in tune with this weird vibe that they have going on, I am the walrus. So after the massive, massive success of Sgt. Pepper, and Sgt. Pepper just, again, it's the it's the turning point. Once Sgt. Pepper comes out, that's when, really, it's when classic rock begins. Like, you listen to classic rock radio, there's only a few things you're going to hear pre-Sgt. Pepper. And that's going to be, like, some early Rolling Stones material. Um, and then Jimi Hendrix's first album came out, like, a month before Sgt. Pepper did, and so he was kind of a telltale of where rock music was going. The Doors' first album came out a little bit before 
Sergeant Pepper, but once you got there, that's when that's when kind of rock music began. Yeah. And so after Sergeant Pepper, they made a TV movie called Magical Mystery Tour. Yes. And it's a weird, weird show. And they wrote they wrote about six songs for it, and I Am the Walrus was one of them. So I Am the Walrus was written by John Lennon, and he wrote it literally to troll people. Of course. Because he found out that universities were offering legitimate classes of dissecting Beatles lyrics and trying to find hidden meanings. And so he said, I'm going to give them a song that they're going to work on for ages and never be able to figure out because it doesn't actually mean anything. And again, still keeping in tune, some really interesting, trippy musical notes, Mm -hmm. melodies. But I think the thing that I kind of took away from it is all of a sudden you start getting this overdriven vocal, Mm -hmm. which I actually really, I'm a huge fan of. I just love the, 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 just the, the drive behind it. It just sounds it just sounds so different from what you His vocal is really good yeah. I'm the Walrus. And really the true star of I'm the Walrus is George Martin. All the orchestration and all of the all of the the details in that song came from George Martin like he uh he brought that song to him and it's just like okay, we've got this crazy idea. <laughs> I need you to figure out how to make this work. And so and he does it. Yeah, like he wrote all the orchestra parts. Like he was pretty much like a almost like a conductor, like and like a like a score uh, composer. So you know he was he was writing out all the musical annotation, and he would bring in the orchestra, and you know he was just they wouldn't have gotten this far without him. And this is all a joke. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the. In a later song, in a song called Glass Onion, he, uh, John Lennon kind of rips a little bit on some of his older songs that people have put all this meaning into, including I'm the Walrus. The lyric literally says, uh, I told you about the walrus in me, but here's a clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. <laughs> it just kind of just like, okay. John Lennon had become very cynical at this point. Yeah. And he just kind of was very much against all the fame he was getting. This is when he started to um, go out with Yoko Ono. And when I say go out, I mean uh, have an affair with her while he was still married. And um, her influence is very heavily felt on John at this point. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of people that talk about Yoko Ono and say, oh, she broke up the Beatles or she's the reason why the Beatles, you know, couldn't get along anymore. And to, she was definitely part of that, but I don't think that she's the sole reason for it. Because Paul McCartney famously hated Yoko. Just couldn't stand her, couldn't stand what she was doing to John as far as just kind of the ideas he was getting and some of the stuff he was getting involved with. Yeah. And the thing that really irritated him is that he would bring her into the control room at the studio and let her, like, contribute ideas. And Have you ever seen the movie Spinal Tap? Mm-hmm. So the, the the girlfriend character, Janine, yeah. she's pretty much the, her, she's a parody of Yoko Ono. 
kind of what she yeah. became to that band and how it drove the rift between the two main characters. That's that's what Yoko did to the Beatles, pretty much. So at this point, things are starting to change. Yeah, so this is when we get to phase four. And so after Magic Mystery Tour, they actually all, on request of George Harrison, take like a long trip to India. And they like kind of sit under this guru, the, the Maharashi Yogi. And he's kind of just... Great. Yeah. I'm, I think I butchered it, but... He was just like this spiritual um, leader. And they wrote a lot of songs there. And, um, and then they, they ended up leaving India just in not very good shape. They were all like angry at each other. They were just, the tensions were starting to build. And they just kind of, this is the point where they started to fragment. Um, John Lennon was really, really unhappy with the, with the Maharashi, just thinking that he was full of crap and, you know, he's a hypocrite and just, you know, he, he very much was wanting to do his own thing at this point. And so when they came back, they, in 1968, they recorded what's now called the White Album. It's really just, it's a self-titled album, The Beatles, but it's a all-white cover, so it just got the name The White Album. And this is where our next song comes from? No, it actually isn't. So, I wanted to put a song from The White Album, but I couldn't find one that fit the emotional arc I was wanting. Because <laughs> The White Album is a tough, it's got a lot of great songs, but it's a tough album to listen to. You can listen to a band breaking up yeah. while they're writing this album. So I heard someone describe it as it's four different guys each backing each other's solo work. It wasn't a collaborative Beatles effort. So you've got four songwriters and they just happen to have the other Beatles playing their songs. And so you've got songs that are wildly going in different directions. and But at the same time, very raw songs. We're not having a lot of the studio creative i wouldn't say creative but like a lot of the experimentation it's a lot of songs on acoustic guitar and piano and or just like a regular you know rock and roll feel to them and there's about 40 songs on the album it's a double album runs at about 95 minutes and while it is a definitely a masterpiece you kind of hear it and you're just like it's not the same beatles anymore yeah. This isn't the Summer of Love, Peace for All. This is a jaded, cynical Beatles now. Yeah, there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then they tr started to record another album. This is what eventually ended up being the Let It Be album. And I know that Let It Be comes at the end, and there's a reason for this. Let It Be, the recording sessions were so bad, and they were so fed up with each other. That they couldn't finish it. They recorded all these songs and they just, the tensions got so high that they were just like, whatever. And you can really feel that in some of these songs. Mm hmm. And so they actually performed one more time live also during this point the famous uh, rooftop concert yeah. on the Abbey or on the Apple 
uh, studio's roof. And a lot of the material for Let It Be got padded for that album because they didn't have enough material finished to be able to put a full album out. And so just tensions were high. And so 1969 comes around. And they kind of just were like, we don't want to just end on an unfinished album. And so they kind of all talked to each other. I was like, let's, let's meet one more time. Let's try and get a great album under our belt and then just see what happens from there. Hmm. So that's when Abbey Road was made. And that's the famous artwork of them walking across the crosswalk. So that's actually the last album that they recorded, but it was not the last one they released because Let It Be comes out in 1970. You know, this album where some of these songs are on there, Mm -hmm. you can tell the emotion in it. Yeah. Like in, uh, and something. Something. Oh, man. What a great song. Classic guitar line, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, but in there's just so much emotion in all instrumentation. I mean, of course, in the guitar, just because it's one of the most prominent instruments. But you can just feel, like, where their heart is at, mm-hmm. where they are as a band. And, again, another another ballad that they just, I mean, they crushed it, obviously. Yeah. It's really good. They said that the recording for that album was magical. That it was kind of like they forgot about all the stuff that made them angry. And they just like put it all aside and just made a beaut. I think it's their best album. It's the one that I enjoy listening to the most from start to finish. And there's some really like great intricacies like throughout this album. Like especially Mm -hmm. in something like the Tom intro that that comes in. Yeah. So... Like, it just works so well. And then going into, of course, the guitar line. Mm-hmm. And this was George Harrison's only number one single with the Beatles. Mm. He kind of finally reached that point to where he, they even, Paul and George said, well, we finally have to admit that George wrote the best song on the album. And they were just, because kind of the always the mood was that John and Paul would kind of push George down. They wouldn't. George would claim that he wouldn't, they wouldn't help him with his songs, that they kind of let, left him to fend for himself while they wrote all the hits. Yeah. And he kind of felt a little left out. And he had started to get really good on the White Album, but Abbey Road kind of is his moment to say, I'm on the same level as you now. Yeah. And I'm not just your guitar player that writes a song here and there. I'm going to put some of the best stuff on him. Because he also writes Here Comes the Sun that's on that yeah. album. Um, another one of the best songs on the record. And there's just there's just a great feeling throughout all of Abbey Road, and it's a shame that it ended after that. But I'm glad that they ended their career on a high note. And so now you mentioned Let It Be. Mm-hmm. So the album was actually supposed to be called Get Back, and it was supposed to be a fully back to basics record. Um, it was supposed to kind of almost recapture a little bit of the earlier albums. Yeah, which you can feel a lot of in some in this music, especially in the song, Let It Be. Mm-hmm. So, and then just, yeah, they they borrowed some material from the live um, rooftop performances. Let It Be wasn't one of those songs, but just... And they have a lot of outtakes on that album. Just kind of like short 30-second yeah. pieces where they're just like, oh, well... You know, we just, we got to fill the runtime, and they didn't record enough for us to work with. Again, though, like, with Let It Be, great ballad. Yeah. I mean, again, 
an, an homage to their earlier albums. Mm-hmm. Some really great, catchy lyrics, of course. Yeah. Paul said that he actually had a dream because his mother's name was Mary. Hmm. And so he had a, and his mom had died at that point because she was, they were a lot older whenever Paul was born. And so he said that he pretty much just, he had a dream where his dead mother came and she literally said the words, it's okay, Paul, let it be. And he woke up and it's just like, I've got to write this song. Hmm. Now, one interesting thing, uh, besides the great lyrics, the great ballad, of course, another great guitar solo in mm-hmm. there. There is a Whirly. Yeah. Which, I mean, for the first time, I mean, at least to me, I hadn't heard before in, in the Beatles. Now. They have some songs, I'm pretty sure, that have the Whirly before, and other bands had been using it too. I would have to look that up. But I could, I could see if that was. But yeah, it's a great texture on that yeah, song. It's just such great. I mean, just going because early it had the piano, and then all of a sudden they switched mm-hmm. to Whirly. It just has a really, just brings a little bit more of an edge, especially as the as the song gets to that point mm-hmm. in there. And but again, I think it just feel like it kind of really speaks to like okay, they're just the band all together. Just like I think this is this is it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like I said, Abbey Road was the one that last one that was actually recorded, but they were still together when Let It Be was released. But the day after it was released, Paul announced that his first solo album was coming out and that he had left the Beatles. And just, of course, no one, none of the other Beatles tried to continue on without him. Of course. They all had already had their own solo records that they were working on. And even though. They had their personal tensions. A lot of the reason they broke up was money-related. Sure. The company that they were bound to was not paying them. And there's a lot of songs on Abbey Road that are that kind of address that fact a little bit. There's a song on there called You Never Give Me Your Money, and it kind of <laughs> is pointed right at Apple Records and just kind of saying, um, you know, because they weren't very rich at that point yet. Yeah. Um, they definitely became very rich afterward. Of course. But at that point, it was just, you know, it's the structure wasn't there yet. And so there's like, the only way we're going to move forward financially is if we go off and do our own thing. And just, you know, they had their personal difference. Just, just specifically musically, Paul and John didn't agree anymore. John wanted to write songs that were, that stood for something. Yeah. And he would refer to Paul's music as granny music. Because Paul just wanted to write great pop music. Sure. And John was just like, no, I want my music to be the sound of a revolution. Or I want it to echo the pain and torment that I have within myself. And Paul is just like, oh, I don't want to... I don't think he ever thought that. But he was just like, I just, I don't have that darkness in me. Because yeah. John had a very intense darkness inside of him. Even in the early... There's some stuff in the early Beatles that you look at it and you just go, you know, John was kind of always a little disturbed. But, I mean, that's what made him such a great artist. Sure. I mean, had he not had that darkness in him, we wouldn't have gotten the songs that he wrote. And so, that was the end of the Beatles. And they never got back together, at least not all four of them. So I have to ask you, then, 
fields are done. They're all doing their own thing. Where does this next song come from? So, the bonus song. The bonus song I always pick, for those of you that are listening for the first time, that is from a lesser-known artist or perhaps an artist that never got fully recognized or like a one-hit wonder, but that has some kind of connection to the Beatles. And so the song that I picked was uh, House of the Rising Sun by The Animals. The Animals were one of the bands that came over with the Beatles during the British Invasion. Sure. And so that seemed like a good tag for me. And the Animals only had one hit, and that was this song. But they didn't write this song. It was a cover. It's an old uh, folk blues standard. Like, it goes back as far as the 1800s. But they definitely made the most popular version of it. There's a lot of things to like about this song. I mean, you've got lovely guitar line throughout, obviously, right from the top. Um, nice use of an organ. A little organ solo also happening. Mm-hmm. I always love that. And I think something that I really enjoyed was the screaming, tortured vocals. Yeah. This was definitely them showcasing their love for... Um, African-American soul music during that time. That was another thing that the Beatles and other members, especially the Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones took it more than anyone else, the the blues era of 50s music. And, you know, you had Screamin' Jay Hawkins that had kind of pioneered that screaming style vocal, and they were definitely pulling from that. That was something unique that the British... Um, bands brought over was this mix of black and white music and so they were they proudly wore that like the Beatles covered in their early days songs from um, um, the Temptations and the Shirelles and um, all Barrett Strong and all kind of those uh, African American artists that didn't get as much recognition as, you know, Elvis and Buddy Holly and all those. So that's definitely kind of where the inspiration for the animal's vocal style on that song comes from. So there you have it. It's not not quite concise, but as concise as I can make it with eight songs to kind of represent. Just the different phases. Yeah. And so, again, just to recap, we had, uh, I saw her standing there, Can't Buy Me Love, Ticket to Ride, In My Life, Within You, Without You, I Am the Walrus, Something, and Let It Be, with the bonus song being House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. Which of these is your favorite? Something. Something is my all-time favorite Beatles song. I think it's the most emotional, artistic Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just it's so great. I wanted that song to be uh our first dance song at our wedding and <laughs> for you and Callie. And Callie vetoed me on that. She wanted Adele instead. That's fair. I, I love her, but I was I was a little salty about that. <laughs> Alright, when we come back we'll uh, wrap things up and uh tell you a little bit about what's gonna be going on next week. So keep on listening. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. So um, we are wrapping up this episode here uh, on the Beatles. I hope that you enjoyed all of this content here. Uh, A big thank you to Justin for joining me. You're going to be hearing a lot more of him in the future. Can't wait. Really excited to to uh, partner up on this so um if you have spotify try and find me on there uh if you just type in the search bar lucas chrisman that's all lowercase one word l-u-c-a-s-c-h-r-a-s-m-a-n i have a playlist on spotify where you're going to find all of these songs so it's called the good music podcast edition playlist follow me follow that playlist and you'll be able to get all of the songs that we're talking about each week. If you don't have Spotify, that's okay. Um, I'm going to be looking into trying to get these lists on some other platforms as well. But just, yeah, listen to these songs, if you, especially if you've never heard them before. Oh, sorry, heard them before. And uh, again, wherever you're listening, subscribe. And uh, we will see you next week. Next week, we are going to be talking about an awesome... 80s band and that band is tears for fears so um if you want to hear about some of the best music that the 80s had to offer then make sure you tune in this is lucas and uh thank you so much for listening and keep on listening to good music